0: Profession. Around eight, 18, I became a Christian. And as soon as I became a Christian, one thing that I really loved was hip hop. So I thought, put two and two together, I was like, man, I'm going to become a Christian hip hop artist. And so for me, I was like, in my mind, I visually saw myself. I'm like, man, I'm going to become like the next, uh, you know, Christian little Wayne or like a Christian Eminem. And so this is the journey that I started. And I, um, you know, started writing some. Some lyrics, and I started dropping some mixtapes. Now, here was the name of my mixtapes. The first mixtape, and, and I'm just letting you know, it was, it was Stray Fire. As, you know, in my mind, when I recorded all three of my mixtapes, you know, the guy would say, all right, it's time to record. The beat would start to play in my headphones, and then it was almost like when I opened my mouth, just like fire emojis would pour out. And so, Where Will You Spend Eternity, Volume 1, where Will You Spend Eternity? Volume two, and, and, uh, and on the third one, I got super creative. Where Will You Spend Eternity? Volume three. And so if, if you're bored today, this is not a music push. I've stopped recording. I know that's gonna break some of your hearts when you press play today, but I'm pretty sure you can still find my music on Facebook. Just search Skinny J, the preacher boy. True story. <laughs> so some of you are going, what does this have to do with Jesus? I'm getting there. So I go on a mission trip in college uh, to Nicaragua, and part of the mission trip is we went down there to share a lot of our resources and and my job was you know we would go through our different communities each day and we would um, just basically have Bible studies I look back on that trip man God really moved and did some incredible things but specifically, I want to share with you what happened on one day so we 're out in this community and and we 're door knocking and you know, we had some Bible studies that morning. But a little bit after lunch, there's this moment where I begin to hear loud music. And I'm like, oh, man, that's a party. And I look to a guy who was with me. Um, he ended up being a groomsman in my wedding a few months ago. And I'm like, I love a party. And you love a party. And I'm like, I know Jesus loves a party. I'm like, hey, let's go to this party and make it a Luke 15 party. That was the kind of language we used. So we're like, hey, let's go. So. As we get closer to the party, our translators begin to tell us that you, this is the bad part of town. Like, we don't really need to go there, the exact words were. He said, this is where the gangsters were. Now, I'm looking at my buddy, and I'm like, "Well, he don't know about me is I've always hung out with the gangsters that don't dance. They just pull up their pants and do the rock away, right? So in my mind, I'm like, hey, we're going to go. I'm like, you can't tell me. So long story short, we end up at this party, and somehow... Some way, I end up freestyle rapping in English. And, uh, of course, none of them spoke English. They all spoke Spanish. And I share that because I learned a powerful lesson that day. That re- it is impossible to communicate a message that when the people that you're trying to communicate to do not speak the same language... I know fu- fundamentally we go, oh, that totally makes sense. I'm just telling you, I was, I was literally rapping, I'm like, hey, Jesus loves you. I didn't speak Spanish, but like I could count to six. So I was like throwing it in, like uno, dos, tres, Jesus loves you. And, and, but, but they couldn't understand. But I also learned something really powerful on that trip that what always bridges the message and the people is your actions. The poor people in those communities could not wrap their mind around the fact that we had gotten on a plane and were willing to give our resources away. Families couldn't wrap their mind around the idea that we got on a plane and went down there and were willing to share our educational resources so that their children could have a better education. We ate dinner with them, we cooked dinner with them, we loved on them, we invited them into worship, we hugged, we cried, we prayed over the sick. It was an amazing moment. And I learned more than anything on that trip that what bridges the message from the people is the actions of our life. You know, growing up, my Emma, I don't know what you call your grandmother, I call mine Emma. She used to say, Your actions, Chris, speak louder than words. Now, now that I'm 30, I'm like, she stole that from Jesus, technically. So but what about that? Our actions. Speak louder than words. You know, if you've been journeying with us this summer, you know that we as a church have been in the book of 1 Peter. And I love being a part of a church that is passionate about Jesus and loves Jesus. And and I love that we don't run away from tough conversations, that we jump into the word and we see what God has to say about it. And it just so happens to be today that when we come to the text in 1 Peter, the big idea is Peter's communicating that your actions speak louder than words. That what bridges the gap between the message and the people is the way that you live your life. And here in this text, we're gonna read Peter encouraging them, saying, Hey, listen to me. When you live and follow Jesus, it's your actions that matter in a world that is running in the opposite direction. Let's look to 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll start reading here in verse 11. Now, if you're a note taker, I want to kind of give you the three movements of the text that we're going to be in. The first movement that we're going to see is this idea that we're supposed to be spiritual foreigners. The second movement that we'll see in the text is this idea that we need to make war against the sin in our life. And then the third is we need to live the good life. In other words, we need to live the Jesus life. And so when we jump into 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, we're going to start really tackling that first movement that we see in the text, this idea that we're supposed to be spiritual foreigners. Look to the text with me. I'm going to read the whole thing. He says, dear friends, he says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I wanna talk about that word foreigner. You know, when a foreigner comes into a land that is not his, fundamentally, don't we understand or don't we grasp that they're gonna walk different, they're gonna live, they're gonna talk, they're gonna act differently, right? And just a little, just wanna pause for a second before we continue. I just want you to know that one of my favorite parts of heaven is that every single person there isn't gonna share my skin color. And one of my favorite parts of heaven is that not only are we not gonna share the same skin color, but the one thing that unites us is that every single person in heaven had a moment where they were lost and dead in their sin and Jesus Christ met them in their brokenness and because of that moment, it radically changed the trajectory of their life. I can't wait for heaven. And Peter says, listen, you're supposed to be a spiritual foreigner. As a Christian, you're supposed to live different, act different, and talk different. He says, you're a spiritual foreigner. That's interesting. Look back to the text. He says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. You notice that he's, he, he's kind of pointing us to the idea that like, this is an identity, something that we, that we need to like come under. You know, I just wanna share just a couple snapshots of, of just early on in my faith where it became abundantly clear to me as an individual that I could either become a spiritual foreigner, meaning I could on this earth live different, act different, and talk different, or Jesus could just be something I did on Sundays. Now, I remember becoming a Christian at age 18, and naturally, when you become a Christian, you just can't stop talking about Jesus. But the truth was, I couldn't stop talking about Jesus. I knew I loved Jesus. I knew I wanted to walk out Jesus. But then also, there was this part of my life I just didn't want to sacrifice. And so my best friend from uh, elementary school, I remember just constantly saying, hey, will you come to church with me? Will you come to church with me? You come to church with me. And just one day, I remember we're sitting there, and we're getting high together, and, uh, I, you know, at the moment, I'm like, I can't see why he won't go to church with me. And as we're smoking, I literally look to him and I go, hey, I'm like, I'm like dude, like, tell me, why won't you come to church? Like, it's awesome. And he looks at me and he goes, Chris, I don't want to go to church because every Christian I've ever met is a hypocrite. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, I'm like, ooh, that hit me. And it was the moment where the Holy Spirit was saying, Chris, do you want to be a spiritual foreigner? and really make a difference in this life? Well, you gotta act different, and talk different, and walk different, and live different. Or do you wanna continue to live a path where Jesus is just something that you do on Sunday? I share another moment where I was on the team at, at, at the time in my life, that you know the team where it's like, oh, Jesus would be out at the bars and clubs on Friday and Saturday night, like he'd be having a beer, kicking it, and chilling, and like I was on that team. And, and it wasn't later in life that I actually realized as I journey with God that, yeah, it's probably pretty honestly true that he would go to those places. But the different church is that he would go to push back the darkness, not participate in it. And I'll never forget, I was out at the bar by Vanderbilt called Losers. I found myself there pretty regularly. And I saw a guy that I knew from high school. He followed me on Facebook. And, and one time on, on a night, he just basically, you know, we had seen each other a few times throughout that summer. And he looks at me and he says, Hey, and this is a moment. We're sitting here and we're chilling. We're talking. He goes, Man, I, I just got to be honest. And I'm like, What's up? And he goes, I'm confused. I'm like, Confused about what? He goes, Man, you're Facebooking about God. You're talking about God. You, you seem to be passionate about God on, on social media. And then I see you on, on Friday and Saturday and it just doesn't match up. It honestly confuses me. I'm, I'm really confused about where you are. That was a moment where the Holy Spirit was saying, hey, do you, do you wanna be a spiritual foreigner? Do you wanna walk different, talk different, and act different, and live different, and make a difference in this world? Or do you wanna be someone who just shows up on Sunday?" I had become the Mark 7, 7 of my city. Meaning my social media honored God, my Instagram honored God, all, all of it honored God, but my heart was far from him. And that was a moment where I had to go, okay, which life do I want to pick? Now, I don't know about you guys, but maybe, you you know, I, I would even say, as I'm sharing this, because we all have the same the same stuff going on on the inside. Maybe some of you go, "Oh, I can relate." But I started this journey where I begin to pray and I begin to worship and I begin to seek God, and I'm going, God, like I want to be a spiritual foreigner. Like I-, I-, I want to be used by you to increase the population of heaven. Like I want to be used to push back the darkness. I want to be used, God. But what I found at work within me was this: like I would I would say these things, and, and I would truly long to do these things. But what I found is like the, the, the things that I wanted to do, I, 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 I couldn't do them. And the things that I didn't want to do, I for some reason kept doing them. This is Romans 7. And what I didn't realize at the time was that, that there's there's language. The, the Bible gives what was going on in me language. It's the spirit versus the flesh. That that there's two things at war within every single person in these very comfortable white chairs. It's the spirit versus the flesh, meaning the spirit wants to work out the things of God in our life. In the flesh, the flesh wants to work out the things of the world. And another way to put it would be this. The spirit wants us to participate in growing and being a part of the kingdom of God, the flesh wants to, us to participate in growing the kingdom of ourselves. And that brings me to movement number two that I believe that we see in the text, that we as Christians, if we're going to be spiritual foreigners and really truly come under that identity, of being people who live to increase the population of heaven, of being people who really believe that their family can have an encounter with Jesus of really believing that the, our, our, our friends at work can really meet Jesus. Like, if we're gonna do that, we've gotta make war on the flesh. Look back to the text, 1 Peter chapter 2, starting verse 11 again. He, he says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. He says, check this, abstain from sinful desires which wage war. That's pretty powerful language. Talking about your flesh. Your flesh is waging war against your soul. So if we're gonna talk about this idea, what does it mean to make war with the sins in our life? Well, here's a concept that really has helped me, and I hope that it encourages you, and I hope that it helps you, because if we're gonna be people who make war on our flesh, it was like, well, how do we do that, Chris? How do we do that, God? How do we make war on the flesh? Here's a concept that helped me. If you wanna write this down, remember it's really powerful. Whatever you feed grows and whatever you starve dies. If you feed the spirit, you will grow in the things of the spirit and as you grow in the spirit, you will find more and more freedom and then one day you'll look up and you don't recognize your life because you're free from a sin that you never thought you'd be free from. Or, you can continue to feed the flesh, ignore the spirit. And here's, here's the most powerful part about it. We get to choose. The day that God decided to put a tree in the garden, that was the day he said, ain't gonna force it, you get to choose. A few weeks ago, I had this really hard moment where I was in the gym. And I'm in the gym and I realized, I'm like, Man, I'm coming to the gym, I'm hitting the gym hard, I'm I'm putting in the work, I'm I'm doing everything that it takes to actually reach the goals that I would like to see uh, uh, come to to fruition in my life, as far as working out goes and being healthier. But then I realize, man, I'm like, I'm I'm doing this, but then I leave and I continue to put junk in my body. Now, I'm just going to tell you, hey, I love me some Jenny's. My wife got me hooked. I'm telling you, like, I don't need other flavors. I just need Brambleberry. Like, I'm going to stay in my lane. Like, Brambleberry Lane, you can find me all day, every day. Now, at work earlier this week, we were talking about, you know, what are like some, like our guilty pleasure food. I'm like, man, when, when my wife's not home, I, I'll take like 20 Oreos. I'll put them into the biggest bowl, pour milk and eat them as fast as I can. Like, don't judge me. I love Oreos. But here's the reality, I love how it tastes on my lips, but I hate what it does to my hips. <laughs> how many of us have ever been at the gym before? You bought the new shoes, you got the, you got, you got the nice little workout pants. If you're a girl, I don't know if you're a guy, whatever. You go to the gym and you start to cast vision. You're like, man, I'm, by the time I hit the beach in about a week and a half, I'm gonna have them abs. I'm, I'm telling you, I, I don't know, it's gonna be a miracle. The Lord's just gonna bring it down. Maybe you're in the gym and you're listening to a sermon while you work out. I call that getting swole and saving souls. Y'all can, it's patent it, don't steal it. But how many of us have ever been at the gym? We're casting vision, we're gonna get there, we're gonna do this, and next thing you know, we leave. And we're like, can I get a beefy five-layer burrito? Why? Because we love how it tastes on our lips, but we hate what it does to our hips. And the truth is, is that we can come to church and we can get the new King James Bible, ESV, NIV, whichever one you like or whichever one you prefer. You can listen to the Christian worship new songs every time they come out. And there's some straight fire out right now. I'm just letting you know. Chris McLaren, I don't know him, but i am been listening to it. It's awesome. Check it out, Apple Music. Or Spotify, don't want to uh, segregate there. But here's the truth we can come and we can lift our hands and worship. We can say, Oh, amen, come on, preach it, brother. But at the end of the day, guys, that when we leave, whatever you feed grows and whatever you starve dies. And we have to have an honest look in the mirror and go, What am I feeding and what am I starving? Do we want to be people that experience spiritual intimacy with the God of the universe? Or are we going to settle until we take our last breath and go home for spiritual bankruptcy? If we want spiritual intimacy, we've got to be people that start feeding our spirit the good stuff and start starving our lives to the bad stuff. The cry of God's heart is for the world to be able to look to the church and see Jesus. And I don't know about you guys, but man, I I wanna be a part of a revival, man, that my great grandkids read about. I want my great grandkids to literally pick up a book one day that talks about a revival that took place in the city of Nashville. And it was the generation that said, where do you want me to go, God, send me. A generation that brought heaven to earth. Well, how do we do it practically? We've got to be people that really start attacking the sin in our life. We've got to make war. Peter says, abstain. How far on the calendar would you have to go back before Jesus could say, hey, that was the last time that you made war. When was the last time you fought? We look back to the text, and that brings us to our third and final movement of the night, which is just this idea of, of living the good life look at first peter chapter 2 start reading in verse 12 he says live such good lives among the pagans i love how the passion translation says it. it says live such good lives as you mix with unbelievers he's saying hey live such good lives when you go to work live such good lives when you share a meal across the dinner table from family and friends like live such good lives as you mix with unbelievers And he says, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I kind of want to make this a two-parter. Look at that first part. He says, live such good lives as you mix with unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong. You ever thought about Jesus? I mean, like some of the stuff that he was called, he was called demon-possessed. I mean, he was called fake, a phony, a liar, a hypocrite. These are things that Jesus was called. And, and I'm not running and I'm not backing away from the culture in 2018. I'm just telling you this is the, this is the truth and, and we can accept it and, and jump into it. But if we wanna be people who live for God and do not stray from the word of God and do not change it, I want you to know that people are gonna call you intolerant. They're gonna call you closed-minded. They're gonna call you self-righteous. They're gonna say that you are, are too good. And here's the truth. How should we respond? Well, I've been seeing a lot of Christians respond pretty poorly. Going to war on Twitter. Trying to take up for Jesus on Facebook. And I think we might have missed this. How did Jesus respond? Jesus responded with his life. They could accuse him. He said, taste my fruit. They could say what they wanted. He said, how does the fruit of my life taste? The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You look back to the text. He says, you do this so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. This is, this is really powerful. I was in teaching team on Thursday, and as we were discussing this it really hit me because I'm like, man, I've, I've heard this language before. I've, I've heard this before and I'm going, where have I heard this? And then it, and I'm like, oh, Jesus' first sermon. And Peter would have been and have heard that sermon too. And you go back to Matthew 5, you look at verse 13. Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. How many of us know that you can't force Jesus upon someone that you can't make them a follower of Jesus, like like you can't do that. but Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. Hey, church, we can't make nobody drink, but I'm telling you what, with your life, you can make them thirsty. He says in verse 14, you're the light of the world. How many of us know that a lamp, which was created its purpose, is to bring light in the dark? How many of us know that it won't work until you plug it into its power source? We've gotta be Christians that start plugging into the Holy Spirit. We gotta be Christians that start plugging into our power source. Jesus, why are we the salt of the earth? Why are we the light of the world? You go to verse 16, he says, so that when people look at your life, they can see me. Wow. Go ahead and uh, ask the band to come back up. Have you ever thought of why people follow Jesus in the Bible? I was thinking about that earlier this week. You ever thought about it? It's it's actually really profound if you think about it. I mean, we're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of people would literally uproot their entire life, and here's what's so crazy. They had no idea where they were going. They just wanted to be close to Jesus. And I'm like, oh, wow. Let's take it a step further especially carrying this idea of we're supposed to live the good life, live the Jesus life. I started wrestling with this idea of them leaving. Now, this is crazy. So Jesus, he says, I speak in parables. And if I'm being honest, this was a text that never sat right with me. Jesus said, I spoke in parables so that they wouldn't understand. And I'm like, that makes no. It literally makes no sense. I don't preach on Sunday so everyone can leave confused. And he says, I spoke in parables so that they couldn't understand. Now think about this. They really didn't grasp the depth of the message of Jesus. And yet thousands and thousands of people were willing to uproot their entire life to follow him. Why? Because I think what Jesus was trying to teach us is that what bridges the message from the people is our lives. And some of you tonight go, God wouldn't want none of me if he saw my life. And this is the moment where I invite you in to meet a God who is so in love with you. That tender date you went out on pretty recently, had too much to drink and you ended up sleeping with the person, God's seen it. The way that you turn to shopping, shopping, the way you turn to food, every time life has got you stressed out, instead of turning to God, I want you to know he's seen it. The attempted suicide. After you did it, you felt no worth. felt like, no, God would never want I'm telling you, he's seen it. Every single person in this room, your ugliest, hardest, scariest, darkest moments, not only has he seen it, church, but he was willing to die for it. And he died so that every single person, no matter what neighborhood you come from, no matter what your skin color it it is, no matter what language you speak, no matter how broken your past, no matter what age you are, he died so that every person who says, I want to follow, I want to be with God, I want to know him, I want to be close, I want to be intimate, whoever confesses and follows the Lord, that one day that they could be with him on the other side of this life. Everybody go ahead and stand with me. Here in a few moments, we're going to take communion around the room. And I would just ask that if you feel comfortable, get get with some people, maybe some of the people that you came with, and start to have a conversation about this idea of whatever you feed grows and whatever you starve dies. Let, Let me get real practical about what that might mean. Some of you might have a conversation if you're comfortable. And, and you might say, and I'm just, I'm giving two examples. There's so many different things that we all struggle with. Hey, I'm imperfect too. Maybe that, that, that conversation goes, man, I, I struggle with porn. And that person goes, okay, you struggle with it. So, so what makes you, what, what are the things that lead you to that? And maybe they go, oh man, like recently it's been Netflix. Everything that Netflix has released lately, I, I've clicked on it and it's got, it's, just, it's got porn in it and then it leads me into porn. And maybe the person would just say, hey, can I pray for you? And maybe the way that you would starve the flesh is to take a season of life, stepping away from Netflix. Another practical conversation might be, hey, I struggle with gossip. And it's easy for me to talk about other people's lives because when I do, it allows me to ignore the brokenness in mind. And maybe the person goes, hey, if you want to starve the flesh, maybe you stop reading gossip magazines. Maybe you stop watching shows that have gossip built all around it. Like Maybe you take a step away from that for a season so that God can heal you. Whatever we feed grows, and whatever we starve dies. If you need prayers, we're going to have people over by the respond banner. We don't have to hear your story. Just say, I need prayers. We'll pray for you. God loves you. Let's pray, and then we'll go to the tables. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for second chances and third chances and four chances. God, thank you that in the middle of our mess, you're, you're, you're telling us how much you love us. In the middle of our mess, you're pointing us to greater. You're pointing us to a future of freedom. And I pray, Lord, that you just minister as we sing, minister as we gather in two or three. God, just minister to us. Minister, Lord, in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Let's go ahead and start making our way to the tables.